Helen, before we get started on today's show, I have to address some confusion that is out there amongst our listeners. Some controversy. Controversy, confusion, really just those two. All right, here's what happens. <laughs> Basically, as you know, we recently recorded our 100th episode. We celebrated that with a live stream on video, and I said a couple episodes, hey, don't worry about it. It's our 100th show, even though this episode in your feed says 101, and apparently it just caused mass chaos throughout the world. Oh. So. Here's what we did. We went back and we renumbered all our episodes and we changed our release schedule a little bit so that the 100th episode that you get in your feed will actually be the 100th episode. So the oh. one you're listening to right now is the 99th episode. Uh, Helen, you were not on this episode. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet here you are right now. It's really but I am, I am so thankful for this renumbering because nothing, nothing, Jake Keith, would get under my craw like... Why does this say 101 if it's 100? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. no, it makes me a little itchy as well. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. So I'm glad we're doing it now. So the other thing that's going to change, though, that I'd mentioned on a previous episode is we're now going to release our 100th episode on Friday, March 4th. Look for the 100th episode. It'll be numbered 100 in all of your favorite podcast apps. Oh, my God. Please stop sending me your letters, but do please keep sending me photos of your cats. <laughs> Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Ujjan Zulfagari. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Oh, thank you, Mujan, and thank you for that very <laughs> Oprah-esque introduction. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, let's see if you do that for every sentence today. I'll try. I think we, okay, I think, I think you're running out of juice there. Mujan, it's so wonderful uh, for you to step in for Helen today, who was unavailable. This is not your first time being on this show. Some of our listeners will remember that you were a guest on a very memorable episode uh, a couple years ago, uh, and one of the reasons it was so memorable for you was because something happened after the show as well. Tell the people about that. Yeah. When I did the show, I said one of my expertise was the movie Gremlins. More specifically, I should have said Gizmo because I ended up not doing well in the actual quiz itself. But the surprise guest expert was Joe Dante, the director, and he heard me do a Gizmo impression. And I think maybe because of that, I got to do a bunch of Mogwai voices in the new Gremlins animation on HBO Max. And in the second season, I think I'm playing a, I'm a little character in it. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's insane what a podcast during a yes. pandemic can do. <laughs> well, I've always said this show is a launching pad for everyone but me. Uh, when, <laughs> when I asked you to uh, step in and bear co-host today, you texted me and said, it's always been my dream to co-host a game show. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And then you added, ha ha. So I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> is game show uh, co-hosting something that you have wanted to do? It is. What are some of your uh, favorite game shows uh, from your past? I grew up watching Price is Right. <laughs> Pyramid was like a big thing in our family. Sure. And then we would play board games at home a lot. And you would put yourself in the hosting position? Yes, I put myself in the <laughs> I generally do whenever anyone comes. Even to like anyone's visiting, I'm always like, welcome to New York. And like Mujan, just not everything has to have points associated with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if that uh, pays off in today's show. We appreciate you so much being here, Mujan Zulfakari. Am I saying that correct? I practiced so many times. Zulfakari. You always Zulfagari. It's like almost Italian, but it's very 
Iranian. <laughs> Zulfagari. <laughs> Mujan Zulfagari. Thank you. All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Mujan, who is up first? She's an award-winning writer, managing editor at the baseball site Fangraphs, and the host of the baseball podcast Effectively Wild. It's Meg Rowley. Hello, Meg Rowley. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's uh, my absolute pleasure. Now, uh, we are recording this at a time where there is no baseball, which normally there isn't this time of year, but there also is no prospect of baseball because <laughs> of ongoing labor negotiations. Uh, how are you doing? Is this the best time for you with nothing to write about or just the worst time for you because there's nothing to write about? It, it's strange. You know, we are normally um, waist deep in free agent signings. There's definitely stuff mm-hmm. that we are still doing as we normally would. We're rolling out off-season prospect lists at Fangraphs. We just wrapped up our Hall of Fame coverage. We're starting to roll out projections. But it would be nice if we knew even just when it was going to resolve or if it was going to resolve. So it's it's a medium nervous, put it that way. Medium nervous. All right. You, of course, are one of the hosts of the Effectively Wild podcast. I say without any uh, qualifications, it is my favorite podcast. I'm a longtime listener. I am a Patreon supporter. Thank you. Apparently, I have reached the level of Patreon support where I get to have you on my show. (laughs) So thank you for that upgrade. One of the things I love about the show so much is that there is no topic too serious, whether it's talking about baseball's response to domestic violence or drug use, or too silly for you guys to cover. You famously sort of seem to have a uh, a special beat where you analyze... I put this certain GI issues uh, that, that players seem to have. Oh, wow. how, did, how, did, how did you get started on the on the farting and pooping baseball player beat? I think that um, moments where we are humbled in public tend to be illustrative, right? We learn things mm. about ourselves. We learn things about other people. And, mm. you know, when a baseball player decides to tell you that he pooped himself just a little bit <laughs> in a game, like what are, you, you can't let that go. You have to go find out when that happened, <laughs> if you could tell, you know, So um, I've kind of retired from that beat. You know, I haven't had occasion to write about it in a while. But every time a player gets sort of sick on the field or has to leave abruptly and the manager sort of hems and haws after the fact about why he had to exit despite playing well, I get at least five Twitter notifications. So it seems as if this is going to be like the first line in my obituary. I'm sure that my family is very proud. This has inspired me to actually watch baseball. Now I want to I'm going to watch it thinking like who out there is pooping. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they say when you're sliding into first and your pants are about to burst, that's baseball. (laughs) How do you describe Effectively Wild compared to how people might think of baseball podcasts? Because it really is has has a unique voice. We're trying to capture the experience of baseball. We absolutely come at it from an analytical lens. You know, I'm the managing editor of Fangraphs and Ben before he was at the ringer and then Grantland was a baseball prospectus uh, editor-in-chief so we tend to understand the game analytically but we also think that the game like I said sort of is at its best when it's helping us to understand humanity and so I think that getting a balance between those things where we're sometimes diving deep on seam shifted wick and what that means or helping our listeners understand war you know that stuff is all well and good but then we might spend a 20 minute digression on whether 
live animal mascots are eligible for the mascot hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> and and for our listeners who may not be familiar, when you're trying to get people to understand what war is, you're talking about uh, <laughs> oh. wins above replacement, yeah. not a history of combat over uh, millennia. Yes, uh, war yeah. and its use is, is sort of a, a central point in the current collective bargaining negotiations. And I would imagine that a visitor to baseball Twitter would just be wildly confused by our contextless yeah. tweets. You know, war, what is it good for? How precise is it? We're <laughs> we're, I swear, like asking very yeah. different questions than a. a Why do you want to have more war? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> you want to have the most war possible. Right. And what you know. do they know? <laughs> Fangrass is a site, as you mentioned, that focuses on analytics and advanced metrics. It, it's kind of, in a, in a most beloved way, a stat site for nerds. Yes. But uh, what's it been like discovering that players are using it as well and are aware of it? It runs the spectrum with ballplayers the same way that it does with fans. Sometimes we get very mm-hmm. angry mentions, but sometimes guys, they look at the training that they get from their teams. They look at what their player development staffs are able to tell them and recognize that it really has helped them to elevate their careers, prolong their careers. So it's been cool. It is at times a little testy, but I think generally mm. is taken with good humor. So yeah. Last thing I want to ask about, uh, from what I understand, you are a recent uh, transplant to uh, your home in Arizona. Yes. Uh, you came from Seattle. How are you adjusting to the difference in uh, culture and uh, moisture? Uh, well, this is the time of year where Arizona really makes a case for itself in terms of the weather. <laughs> um, you know, I was someone who for a long time would look forward to Arizona come February or March, um, when I would be able to like decamp and dry off from Seattle uh, and enjoy baseball in the sun down here. The Valley is sort of underrated as a food place. Like there are really great restaurants down here. And, you know, once I was able to get fully vaccinated and could kind of explore more. It's been really nice to get to know it. The first six months I had sort of moved to a house in another state, but Mm -hmm. now I actually get to experience Arizona a little bit more. So it's been good. Awesome. Well, it's uh, wonderful that we have you here today. Thanks so much for joining us, Meg Rowley. All right, Mujan, against whom will Meg be competing? He's a columnist for The Daily Beast and the author of the new book, Go Back to Where You Came From and Other Helpful Recommendations on How to Become American. It's Wajahat Ali. Hello, Waj. Meg should find out the, the dietary habits of writers. I think I think the stats on this would be very much appreciated by our audience. You were looking for some advanced metrics on, on the nutritional uh, <laughs> intake of writers. I think Meg might be familiar with that topic already. Uh, a we bit. slide into a paragraph. <laughs> yes, let's see. <laughs> well, speaking of writing, in addition uh, to The Daily Beast, as Mujan mentioned, people have seen your work in The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Guardian, McSweeney's. And of course, you have this wonderful uh, new book called Go Back to Where You Came From and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. Uh, despite its title and its uh, subject matter, you've described this sort of as a love letter of yeah, it's, a, it's about loving a country that doesn't always love you back. And it's an elegy for the rest of us. Why only mm. allow J.D. Vance to have his elegy? So, <laughs> and, and I'm not running for office, you know, uh, trying to traffic off the pain of the Appalachian as I'm a corporate Wall Street goon. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, just a simple son of Pakistani Muslim immigrants who was lucky. You know, I had the Mal minority upbringing and suburban upbringing. And overnight after 9-11, and due to some uh, personal experiences I mentioned in the book, tag, you're it, I was the other. Mm. And it's a book about how in America, some of us are both us and them, a citizen and a suspect, and how you can try to love this country that often doesn't love you. And maybe we can stretch and expand this country to include the rest of us who come from S-hole countries 
as the co-protagonist <laughs> of, of the narrative. That's the hope of it. The title is, of course, Go Back to Where You Came From. Uh, where is it that you came from that people want you to go back to? You know, it's very interesting. I get these really helpful, unsolicited emails almost once a day. So the first thing is, I'm assuming my mother's womb, which is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Although Freud would say we're all trying. Yeah, we're yeah. all trying. So <laughs> yeah. I guess that's okay. I'll give them that. Oftentimes... Pakistan is the same as India, is the same as Iran, is the same as right. Iraq. So it's like this right. brown, apparently brownness. You want me to go back to this, like this Middle Eastern booyah base that I wasn't born. <laughs> so, but, but they just want me to go back. Just like they just go back there. And I'm like, yeah. sure, if you can pay the ticket and subsidize yeah. my life, I'd love to go back. So what I'm gathering is that bigots may not be the smartest people. Bigots aren't really that nuanced. I mean. Yes. <laughs> they're not known for their subtlety. Yeah, it's not like they're going to be like, Go back. Oh, oh, Mujan, I'm sorry. You're not Pak. Oh, I'm sorry, Mujan. I wasn't referring to Iranian Americans. Right. I'm talking to that Pakistani behind you. My bad. Yeah, my tactic is people ask me that question and I just go from the beginning and make it very descriptive and long. And then I, they, they're just like, I need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that, that can be a wonderful way of dealing with trolls. Just <laughs> just bore them out of... Uh, you take out your pipe. You're like, in 1972, yeah. <laughs> my father made the decision. You've said that uh, you went to school knowing only three words of English. Was that literally true? You literally knew three words? My parents thought it'd be hilarious not to teach me English, even though I was born and raised in America. So the three phrases of English that I knew, this is a true story. When they sent me to Child's Hideaway Preschool, there was actually a preschool called Child's Hideaway. I mean, <laughs> uh, so my, my mother used to say, shut up to me. So I knew shut up and shut up used to be followed by idiot. So I knew uh -huh. shut up, idiot. And you got, we're all, we're of the certain age. Uh, Jay Keith, although mm -hmm. Mugan might be and Meg might be younger than us, that there was a Campbell supermercial, uh, O Spaghetto, mm -hmm. from the 80s. So I used uh -oh, to be, Spaghetti, oh, Franco, oh, American. Sure, yeah. Sure. yeah, so I used to be a fob kid. I used to say, uh oh, Pasgetio. So it was shut up, <laughs> idiot, uh oh, Pasgetio. But you got the three most essential words and phrases to live in America. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, idiot, uh oh, Pasgetio. Yeah, you win. You get the whole you spectrum. Win. Yeah. You can navigate your way. You talk in the book about giving people the benefit of the doubt that, uh, you know, you do talk with people about confronting their prejudices, but trying to do it in a way that allows them some change. Can you expand on that a little more? I thought that was really a, a loving sentiment. All of us have prejudices based upon ignorance and misinformation. And I think oftentimes no one wants to offend anyone or no one wants to be seen. I hate this word, but it's it's now the common phrase, politically incorrect. <laughs> sure. So give a well-intentioned person, let me repeat this, a well-intentioned person who's curious but ignorant a space to be like, yo, I don't want to offend you, but I've heard this. Can you talk about it? And I see that if you invest that five, 10 minutes, I have seen in my life that that person appreciates it. That person gets some wisdom and information and that person, you can enter into the discourse and plant a seed or maybe the top, like Leonardo DiCaprio. You can be a Leonardo DiCaprio and, and put the top in their, in their brain like Inception. And then, you know, maybe for the rest of their life, they're like, I met this one guy named Warbalot uh, <laughs> what can I call it? And you know, he gave me a very interesting perspective, and I really appreciate that. And I've seen that you could put a seed in someone's brain that hopefully blossoms into some more enlightenment and wisdom. Wow, Warbalot, that is such a lovely <laughs> sentiment. My best friend called me Whatchamacallit, so Jake. Oh no, <laughs> you forgot the name. All right, last thing I want to ask you about before you found success as a writer, you were a lawyer. Is there anything you miss about practicing law? The fact that I was able to flex and people thought I was much smarter than I was because I was a licensed attorney and people think for some reason, if you go to law school and you're licensed, you're automatically smart, which is hilarious because so many of us are so stupid and have no idea what we're doing. So the fact that people thought I was smart and the fact that immigrant parents were impressed, right. not, oh, not writing, yeah. but they're like, oh, he's a lawyer. 
and a playwright, mashallah. <laughs> Excellent. So, so please have faith in our legal system because according to Wajahat, there are a lot of dumb lawyers out there. A lot of dumb lawyers. <laughs> awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us so much. It's Wajahat Ali. Wajahat and Meg, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Meg, you said you know a lot about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks football team, the 1999 version of the movie The Mummy, and Nora Ephron. Whereas, Waj, you said you know a lot about the 2021 San Francisco 49ers football team. Ooh, a little parallel there. 1980s and 90s stand-up comedians. little parallel there with the 90s. And famous brown people, which I think is the opposite of Nora Ephron. <laughs> uh, <laughs> later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you is an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, not again. First up is Meg with not. Meg, while you might hear sailors use both terms, what is the difference in sailing between a knot and a nautical mile? A knot and a nautical mile. I think that a knot is a measure of speed and a nautical mm -hmm. mile is a measure of distance. All right, we've got Meg's answer. She is she is grimacing. I don't know if we can pick that up on the mic. There's that mic. Oh, I'm sweating <laughs> too. All right, we've got Meg's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. Waj, you can steal if you don't think she's got it exactly right. What do you think? I feel at the nautical mile, she's correct. That is a measure of distance. And I want to think that she has a big brain and she's right. But I'm a simpleton. And I'm just going to say knot is literally the knot that they tie on the boat to keep the sail upright. But I think I'm wrong, but I just want to steal it. All right. Well, this segment has gotten tied up in knots and is getting lost at sea. So let's go to Mujan Zulfikari at the judges table for the facts. All right. Here are the facts. Knot is a measurement of speed. In fact, it's equal to one nautical mile per hour because a nautical mile is a measurement of distance. And a nautical mile is a little longer than a land mile because at sea, where there are no landmarks, navigators use lines of longitude and latitude to measure distance. One nautical mile is equal to one minute of latitude. That's right. The word knot comes from the method sailors used to use to determine speed. They'd drag a knotted rope behind a boat and use an hourglass to measure how many knots were pulled overboard as the rope let out. It seems like a very efficient method. I don't know why they stopped. Mujan, how did our guest do? I'm going to say Meg did perfectly and gets two points. Yay! Very good. Meg Rowley, two points. Waj, you were not wrong, I think, about the knots being used to ropes and, and sails, but it did not have anything to do with the difference between that and the nautical mile. I'm going to lose horribly today. I, I just realized. I don't know this why, is... you, you know, why you think that, because I'm sweating. You, you took out that knot and you just uh, whipped me with it. I was like, wow, look at that, that, that big brain. Waj, here's your chance to score some points. Up next in Not Again, it's Wajahat with Again. Waj, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Mushan? I'll let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. And listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hi, everybody. This is Lara Manhas from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. My question for what's the difference is, while they both mean that something is happening again and again, what's the difference between recurring and reoccurring? Thanks so much. Love the show. Bye. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Lara. And Meg, thank you for being impressed that we had a listener from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Roz, you heard our wonderful listener. What is the difference between recurring and reoccurring? I would say reoccurring is a, an event that happens again and again, periodically. Uh, recurring is something that has happened less frequently, but perhaps sometime in the past. Okay, less frequently, but perhaps sometime in the past, as opposed to recurring in the future. All right, we've got Wash's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Meg, what do you think? Gosh, I'm going to maybe get these mixed up, but I think that something that reoccurs happens again and again, but at an unpredictable and irregular interval, and something Mm -hmm. that recurs happens again and again at a predictable interval. Okay, well, this segment has been occurring for too long. Let's go to Mushan Zulfagari at the judges table for the facts. Okay, here are the facts. Recurring means that something happens with some degree of frequency or repetition, often on a regular schedule. And reoccurring means that something happens again, but not necessarily so frequently and perhaps even only one more time. That's right. For example, Mujan has had a recurring role on Gremlin's Secrets of the Mogwai, whereas I have yet to have a reoccurring audition for any such role, despite my recurring calls and emails to Joe Dante. Mujan, how did our guest do? I'm going to say, Meg, you get one point. That's right. I think uh, Waj got it flipped and Meg was uh, was closer, but not quite exactly on the nose. So what is our score at the end of that round? After the first round, Meg Rowley has three points and Wajahat Ali has zero points. That's right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, I'm so glad that you were back for our ads day because first we're talking about feels CBD. Ooh, I have feels about CBD. Yes, all the feels, <laughs> yes. Well, you know what's ironic is CBD isn't really about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, stress, anxiety, pain. CBD has been helpful for me and is a safe, natural method to relieve pain, nervousness, and sleeplessness without harmful side effects. Feels is just a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help to keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. All you do is place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and everyone's dose is different. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. It's not just a premium product, it's got premium service. Start feeling better with Feels. Tell them how, Helen. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash gofact and you'll get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's feels, F as in Frank, E-A-L-S dot com slash gofact to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash gofact. Thank you, Feels. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice. But we do see you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. (laughs) Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, honk if you did it? That's what it was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. (laughs) Why did we not ever make this? We did make them. I think they're still in the Max Fun store. (laughs) Honk, honk. You're doing it. (laughs) Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Honk, honk. Toot, toot. 
welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests Meg Rowley and Wajahat Ali. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks so much, Mujan. All right, Meg, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks football team, the 1999 version of the movie The Mummy, and Nora Ephron. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose the 2013 Seattle Seahawks as one of your topics. Well, I grew up a Seattle sports fan generally, and um, I don't know if you know this, but it has been a history of pain and sadness, (laughs) primarily. Mm The Sonics were ripped away from us. The Mariners have been terrible for really most of my life. They haven't been to the postseason since I was in high school. And the Seahawks had, you know, one Super Bowl appearance and they lost in terrifying fashion to the Steelers. And then there were the 2013 Seahawks who were not only wonderful during the regular season and had some of the best players in the NFL, but also won the Super Bowl that year. So it was really lovely and joyful. They sort of were a a link for me back to home when I was in grad school in Wisconsin. So they they hold a special place in my heart. And as a baseball uh, media type, I can't really have that same experience of fandom with baseball, but football remains a place where I can just cheer for my guys. So the Seahawks. Very good. Uh, All right. You also said you know a lot about the 1999 version of the movie, The Mummy. The Mummy is just one of those movies for me. I think that like Brendan Fraser is incredibly charismatic. He and Rachel Weisz have great chemistry in this movie. So when people say, have you finally watched Succession? I say, yes, but I've probably really just watched The Mummy again. (laughs) So you would rather watch The Mummy than Succession. Sorry. That's all right. No, no apologies. This is, you know, every, everyone, uh, everyone's got a different boat to float. Yeah. All right. And then finally, tell us why you chose Nora Ephron as a topic. I just appreciated that she was a woman who had ambition and wit and could be caustic, but also I think really understood maybe not a universal human condition, but her little segment of the world very, very well and was able to speak to it with emotional and intellectual clarity. And she's the writer of several of the best romantic comedies we've ever had that get underappreciated as just good writing. So we're mm-hmm. Efron. All right. Well, to summarize, Meg, you said you know a lot about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks, the 1999 version of the movie The Mummy, and Nora Ephron. Today, we're going to quiz you about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. Yes. Oh, good. That was the one you were hoping for? I don't know. I was just, I know some things. (laughs) Okay, very good. (laughs) And what was your Super Bowl watching experience that fateful year? I was with a bunch of my grad school friends who were also big football fans. And that Super Bowl was not close. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the Seahawks pretty roundly trounced the Broncos. And so, you know, when you're at a Super Bowl with a a group of people who are fans of other teams and you have a blowout, they get less and less interested. But you're still (laughs) watching your team win a Super Bowl for the first time. So like one of the puppies in 101 Dalmatians, I just got closer and closer to the TV so that I could watch and hear the game while other people were doing other stuff. So that was that was my Super Bowl viewing experience. <laughs> That's a very descriptive <laughs> image. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Wash, do listen closely because you can steal if Meg gets any of these wrong. Wash, by the way, how much do you know about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks? Uh, just pain and misery. Uh, because <laughs> I'm I feel so like, sorry. <laughs> I feel like you're trolling me with this. Because uh, even though the Seahawks suffered for the last like 10 years, 15 years, they've probably like tortured my 49ers. And I I remember that 2013 NFC Championship game. And I I just had trauma uh, all throughout that conversation. So this is just painful. Wow. It's possible. 
It's interesting. Usually our guests uh, say that the person getting the quiz is the one having the pain. But in this in this case, it's the other person. So we just can't win. All right. Well, uh, let's see if Meg gives you a chance to jump in. Here's question number one for Meg Rowley. Before head coach Pete Carroll won the Super Bowl with the Seahawks, he had success at the college level, coaching a team from a certain university located in Southern California. What university of Southern California did he previously lead to a championship? USC. Mujan? That is correct. That is correct. Yes, my subtle hints in the question should have led you to the University of Southern California. Fun fact, Pete Carroll is one of only three coaches to win championships for a college and NFL team. The others are Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer, although Carroll's championship with USC in 2004 was vacated due to NCAA violations. Here's question number two. What nickname given to running back Marshawn Lynch has its origins in a Transformers animated TV series and described his elevated level? Level of play. Beast mode. Mujan? That is a correct. That is correct. Fun fact, according to his website, Beast Mode, in all caps, is more than the level Marshawn Lynch reaches when he barrels through defenses in unstoppable fashion. No, Beast Mode, all caps, is an entire lifestyle, a commitment to attack each day with the same ferocity that Marshawn has when he hits the hole. I'm just going to leave that there. Here's question (laughs) number three. Meg, although originally called Seahawk Stadium and now called Lumen Field, what was the home stadium for the team called in the 2013 season? That would be CenturyLink Field. Mujan? That is very correct. That is correct. Also known as the Clink. Yes. Century Link Field. Fun fact, it was also called Quest Field, and until Quest was acquired by Century Link, which was then rebranded as Lumen, in 2013, fans at the stadium set a Guinness World Record for loudest crowd roar. Further fun fact, it is where I graduated from high school. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh. Was that the second loudest crowd roar? Uh, no. No, no. no. <laughs> for a moment, I thought... You said you went to high school there. And in my brain, was like, the stadium high school? Yeah. What? Well, you know, if the cities are going to publicly finance stadiums, they should at least have high schools uh, built in as well. Amen. All right. Here is question number four. You were three for three, Meg. The Seahawks of this era were known for the defense of their secondary, nicknamed the Legion of Boom. And in 2013, they allowed the fewest passing yards and passing touchdowns in the league. In fact, only one team in the regular season put up more than 300 passing yards against them. Which team was it? You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. I will take a hint, please. Mujan, how about that first hint? They're the NFL's youngest franchise. Was it the Houston Texans? Mujan? That is correct. Yes. Meg raising her arms triumphantly. Waj <sighs> nodding along. I think he might have known that one. Fun fact, Waj, you'll appreciate this. The 49ers also put up over 300 yards against Seattle in the postseason. The Seahawks won both of those games. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I remember that. I remember that. Thank you. Appreciate it. I have a clip I can show you if you want to uh, relive that watch. No? Okay, great. All right, Meg, you are four for four. Have a chance to go five for five if you can get this question correct. While it's common for cities of Super Bowl teams to make friendly wagers, usually of a traditional local food item, Seattle and Denver went a bit more highbrow, with their city's museums agreeing to loan the other a work of art to display if their team lost. What was the appropriately named sculpture that the Denver Museum of Art had to send to the Seattle Museum of Art when the Seahawks won? Oh, gosh, yeah. Wow, we've really come a long way from Pete Carroll and USC, haven't we? Um, (laughs) I will will take a hint. Mujan, how about that second hint? The name of the sculpture includes the name of the Denver team, plus a word that is often paired with dust, ghost, block, or filla. Dust, ghost, block, or filla. 
Uh, oh gosh. Uh, I have no idea. I really just, um, uh, I would say, uh, bronc, bronco, wind. I don't know. (laughs) Mujan, is it bronco wind? I'm sure it's not. That's incorrect. Yeah. No, she can. Con- <laughs> you can confirm what Meg has already said is not the yeah. correct answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sorry. No point there. But Waj, a chance to steal. Uh, what the hell is Phila? Uh, <laughs> so that's right. Uh, Bronco, ghost, block, Phila. What was the other one? The fourth word? It, it, it's a word that is often paired with dust, ghost, mm. block, or Phila. Oh, Phila. Okay. Uh, Bronco. Uh, d- I think we're going to rename this show Watching Smart People Squirm. <laughs> this is enjoyable. Uh, Bronco Story. <laughs> is it Mujan, is it Bronco Story? Ah, not correct. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We were looking for Bronco Buster. Yeah. Bronco oh! Buster. Oh! Dust Buster, Ghost Buster, Block Buster, and Filibuster. That was our uh, attempt at a Phil hint there. Okay. Oh. Filibuster, yes. I'm okay. sorry. Fun fact, an early cast of the Bronco Buster by Frederick Remington was displayed in the Oval Office in the White House since the Carter administration until it was removed by President Biden. If the Seahawks had lost, by the way, Denver would have been loaned Sound of Waves, a 12-foot wide drawing of an eagle. So I, even, if, even if the Seahawks had lost, I think they would have won. Uh, <laughs> all right, Meg, you still did quite well in that round, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Meg, of all the players on the Seahawks Super Bowl roster, only two were not born in the United States of America. And in fact, those two were born in the same foreign country, becoming only the eighth and ninth people born in that country to ever become Super Bowl champions. One was a tight end, the other a punter. For up to three points, what country are these players from and who are these players? Okay, so... I believe the country is Canada. Mm-hmm. I believe the punter is uh, John Ryan. Okay. And I believe that the tight end is Luke Wilson. Okay. Mujan is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Mujan, who do we have today? Joining us tonight is a member of the 2013 Seattle Seahawks and one of the two foreign-born players on the team. It's Super Bowl champion John Ryan. Hey. Hello, John Ryan. Hey. Oh, my God. Meg, I'm so glad you said John Ryan. I would have been so embarrassed. <laughs> I would have had to walk out. Wow, so cool. thank you. <laughs> Uh, Meg, you are having quite a response to seeing John Ryan. Tell us what you're feeling. Well, it's just it's just the coolest thing. Like, oh uh, uh, gosh, I'm gonna be a little starstruck. That team just meant a lot to me. I I watched you guys in bars in Wisconsin as a graduate student. You were like a real anchor to home. So this is just deeply cool. Oh, thank you. It was a it was a really fun season. It was the funnest season of uh, football that I ever played. So I'm glad that we got to kind of share that with all the fans. John, it's so wonderful to have you join us. Uh, you actually are not a stranger to baseball, which is Meg's beat. Uh, tell us about your involvement with uh, baseball right now. Yeah, I own a number of uh, summer Woodback Collegiate baseball teams, uh, as well as a professional indie league team in Texas, the Cleburne Railroaders. I also have some other projects in the works to uh, purchase some more affiliated minor league teams. Right away, we just are announcing uh, our own merchandise line and hat company called Official League, which you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter or purchase our hats and 
let me retire early. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the names of the Portland teams, because these, these speak to my heart. Our one team fell the Portland Pickles. Uh, which we got yes. a little hot water lately in the uh, media world, which were uh, yes, there was there was a bit of a viral tweet that a little bit uh, Anthony Weiner esque. Yes, it was very. Uh, yeah. It was all about Dylan's Dylan Dylan's pickle, and uh, <laughs> we were very proud of that. <laughs> and uh, the other team in Portland is called the Gherkins, which is uh, kind of like a, a junior college team that feeds the the, the pickles. So. Yeah. I, I could not love that more uh, unless you add another uh, team of French players called the Cornichons. Yeah, that was actually uh, the second choice. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe next year. Great. Currently, you are a punter on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the Canadian Football League. I understand that's actually your hometown team. That's the team you grew up rooting for? Yeah, I was I was born and raised there. So I uh, grew up rooting for this, this team, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I, I was going to games since like the mid-80s. And actually, I had season tickets there until the day I was drafted. And uh, now to be able to go back and play there for the last few years is kind of a, having everything come full circle and a bit of a dream come true. Well, let's talk about your NFL career. You played in 191 games, making 914 punts for over 40,000 yards. You're still Seattle's all-time leader in punts, having been there for uh, 10 seasons. And yet one of your most memorable plays was not a punt, was actually a throw that you made in the playoffs. Uh, tell our listeners about that. Yeah, it was the uh, 2014 season. We were in the NFC Championship against the Green Bay Packers. I believe we were down 19 nothing in the middle of the third quarter pete called a great uh, great fake uh, field goal kind of had my my dream come true and be able to throw a touchdown pass uh, in the nfl but not only in the nfl but in the playoffs in the nfc championship and that kind of sparked our comeback we ended up winning that game in overtime to go to the super bowl so it was kind of a the most memorable moment of my personal career for sure well, you were the first punter ever with a touchdown pass in the postseason. That, that's absolutely incredible. When you tweeted about that afterwards, there was, there was some discussion about your facial expression when that was happening. Do you remember what you said? Whenever I do anything physical, I make the worst faces. Like, I'm talking, like, <laughs> unbelievably bad faces, and they caught me right in the, the midst of a, an absolutely terrible face as I was throwing that ball, and that went, that went viral, and there's many memes to follow. I tweeted after, but next time I do something awesome, I should make a better face. <laughs> I love it that even even when you do something great that's never been done before, people will still find a way to pick on you on Twitter. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, it, it's hard to pick on me because I don't, I don't, I don't shy away from it. it doesn't really bother me. So yeah. I thought that it just added to the moment by uh, making that face. Very cool. Well, let's talk about that historic 2013 season. Did you go into it thinking that hey, this team could win the Super Bowl? I thought we had a shot. You know, we we mm -hmm. came in 2012 is when things kind of started to turn around. Pete had been there going on for a few years now. We had this uh, young quarterback named Russell Wilson who was coming, coming into his second year, and he really got his legs under him in that first year near the end. And uh, we kind of came into that year kind of knowing we had something special there. It's very rare in sports that you have all that ability and everything kind of comes together and the team uh, gets along so well and they're all have each other's backs, and then we actually put it together. So it's pretty special. I read that around that time, you kind of changed your, your focus to not so much getting distance in your punts, but getting more hang time. Uh, what, what went into that decision? Just the fact that we had the best defense in the world, maybe one of the best defenses yeah. of all time. You know, at that point, I was in my 10th year of professional football, and uh, I just wanted a championship. You know, it wasn't about me anymore. I didn't, I didn't care about the stats. I just wanted that ring, and I was willing to kind of, uh, you know, go into that team mode as, as, as much as I could, and I was happy to help. I will admit to rewatching games from that year on occasion because, you know, the, the Seahawks season wasn't as much fun in 2021 as, as others have been. Let's just say that. <laughs> I think one of the most striking things about that team is not only how dominating that defense was, but we were just right on the cusp of how players were allowed to be physical changing. I don't know that we'll ever see a Cam Chancellor behaving quite like Cam Chancellor did again. And so 
you know, there are a lot of good reasons for that, but it was just sort of this incredible little slice of time where you had this perfect mesh of like guys and scheme and it was really incredible to watch. I mean, that's exactly right. It was just like a perfect moment in time where they hadn't cracked down on the Royals as much and we had, you know, the biggest, most physical defensive backs with Cam Chancellor and Brandon Browner and Sherman and uh, Thomas. We just had this crazy crew of guys that just no one wanted to play against us because they were just such, you know, bruisers. And I think now if that same team were together right now, it might be a little bit different just because of the, the rule changes. So it was yeah. it was a special time for sure. I just want to say that this is, uh, I, I appreciate everyone just triggering me. <laughs> <laughs> because the 49ers, we knew as a 49er fan that the only team that could give us competition was the Seahawks. <laughs> 2013, the Super Bowl was the NFC Championship. And that that tipped pass, I think it was Sherman who tipped it to Malcolm. That did it. And like whoever won that championship, we knew was going to win the Super Bowl. And so I still have, I think I collapsed on the floor. My wife just saw me collapsing <laughs> on the floor. And she was trying to figure out why a grown man has collapsed on the floor. But you look back in time, you're like, man, that team was dominant. So you got to give them respect. Well done. John, I have to ask, what is it like when uh, you hear people talking about, well, uh, my team and we did this uh, when they're Waj, whereas when you talk about <laughs> my team and we did this and you were actually on the team? Oh, I love it. I love it. That's, that's, okay. that's what sports is all about, in my opinion. You know, it's uh, it's not just the 53 guys on the sideline and on the field. It's the uh, hundreds of thousands of fans uh, all over the all over the Pacific Northwest for us or all over the Bay Area for you. And that, that's what makes it so special to me is that they, they care so much. They they use the words we when they're talking about the team. And I absolutely love that. Oh, OK, great. Because my instinct would be to say, oh, yeah, how many punts did you have? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's talk about your Super Bowl experience. What's the big memory that you have uh, from that game or from from celebrating afterwards? W- was it going to see the Bronco Buster sculpture at the Seattle Museum of Art? It was. It was. I was going to bring that up right away. <laughs> okay. No, but it was uh, it was just a special day. I think one of my best memories is being on the field after the game, the confetti coming down. Uh, our family started to make it on the field and just turning around mm-hmm. and seeing my mother and being able to, uh, to hug her and just to be able to uh, share that moment with her when, you know, all the sacrifices that she made so that I could play football. Um, you know, the, she's been to every game I've ever been, I've played in or watched every game I've ever played in since I was seven years mm-hmm. old and just feel to share that moment with my mother was really kind of the... Um, you know, the, the cherry on top of the whole day. You know, that's kind of the moment I'll never forget. Oh, guys, Andy loves his mom. <laughs> this has been wonderful to speak with you about. Let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Meg. First, we wanted to know what was the foreign country where two players on the Seahawks came from? Mujan, what did Meg say? Meg said Canada. And John? That is correct. That is correct. Our neighbor to the North Canada, a point for Meg. Next, we wanted to know what was one of the players who was a tight end who was from Canada on that roster. Mujan, what did Meg say? Meg said Luke Wilson. And John? That is correct. That is correct. Another point for Meg. John, did you and Luke bond over your both being from Canada? We definitely did. We, uh, Luke and I got to play together for a few years, and we were, we were really tight and just uh, one of the all-time great guys that I, I was able to play with, and it was kind of cool that we were from the same country. All right. And finally, Mujan, we want to know who was the punter who was from Canada who was a Super Bowl champion with the Seahawks that year. What did Meg say? Meg said John Ryan. And? And thank God she got that right. It would have been so <laughs> freaking embarrassing. Okay. So thank you, Meg. <laughs> yes. Well, Meg, Meg was sweating at the Pete Carroll question. So imagine the, the stress she was under. So wonderful to have you, Meg. Uh, before we let John go, is there anything you'd like to say or ask of him? I actually have one question. I've, I've wondered about this across sports. In in a situation like the Super Bowl, where, like you said, it you know by the time you guys were in the fourth quarter, it was pretty clear you were going to win. What is that stretch of time between 
like between when you realize that, you know, we have this thing in the bag, we are Super Bowl champions, and when the clock actually ticks down to double zeros. It, it honestly, it felt like a lifetime. I mean, we were up 22 nothing at the half. They kick off to us to start the second half. Percy Harvin's returns for a touchdown. So now it's 29 nothing. Then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know. And But no one on the whole team would be like, okay, we got this, because everyone on the team's like, they got Peyton Manning over there. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? Yeah. It felt like a lifetime. Because it's like, you just wanted to get to the end. You just wanted to grab the trophy. You just wanted to uh, drink champagne and uh, get drunk. So uh, that part of it, was, uh, <laughs> it took a while. Awesome. Well, it's been so wonderful to speak with you today. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Uh, you can go to PortlandPicklesBaseball.com for the uh, Portland Pickles site. I love Texas baseball for the Cleveland Railroad site. Or check out our new hat company, Official League on any of the social media outlets. Awesome. Well, wonderful to have you here. Super Bowl champion, our first on the show, John Ryan. Thanks for being here, John. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, What is our score at the end of that round, Mujan? At the end of that round, Meg Rowley has 10 points and Wajahat Ali has zero points with a round of questions for Waj coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Waj about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Waj and Meg will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, it is time to talk about ButcherBox, and I am so excited because you know what I like? I like quality, I like meat, and ButcherBox has high-quality meat. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank God. Well, I am very selective about the meat that I eat, Jake Keith. As you know, um, I don't eat any animals with four legs, but I will eat eat the hell out of animals with two legs. So chickens... Or fewer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chickens, ducks, turkey, watch out. Yeah, well, that's what's great about ButcherBucks. Of course, it's a subscription service that takes the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat, keeping the farmer, the planet, the animal, and your family in mind. But what's great is that it's customizable. So if you just want to have two or no-legged meats, I think that means fish, you can do it. Personally, I enjoy uh, chicken and steaks and sausages, and they have all of that. I was especially impressed, though, with their chicken wings. I'm not a huge wing person, but they sent these chicken wings and they were amazing and incredibly easy to prepare. The convenience, the cost, the quality, it's all there with ButcherBox. Helen, tell them how it works. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home, free shipping for the continental U.S. Each box contains between 8 to 14 pounds of meat, depending on the box you choose. That's enough for 24 individual meals, packed fresh and shipped frozen for convenience so you can save time on your next grocery store trip. Oh, and guess what? This is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. That's right. ButcherBox is giving new members free ground beef for life. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash gofact and get two pounds of ground beef free in every order for the life of your membership. Log on to butcherbox.com slash gofact to claim this deal. That's butcherbox.com slash gofact. Thank you, Butcher Box. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests Meg Rowley and Wajahat Ali. Once again, here's Jay Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Mujan. All right, Waj, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the 2021 San Francisco 49ers football team, 1980s and 90s stand-up comedians, and famous brown people. Let's find out a little bit more <laughs> about each of those. First, tell us what the 2021 San Francisco 49ers football team means to you. Uh, it means to me that they're in the NFC Championship uh, as we're recording this episode. I do not know if they'll win, but like a masochist, I have watched every game. Despite Jimmy Garoppolo, they're in the NFC Championship, and I'm very, I'm very happy. <laughs> All right. Next, tell us what 1980s and 1990s stand-up comedians mean to you. I, you know, I grew up this kid in the in the Bay Area, totally shy. But then I used to do improv comedy in high school, and I used to do a sketch comedy troupe in college. I still remember these gems, these these great comedic minds that influenced me. Who were some of those comedic minds that influenced you? I'm dating myself, but I loved Carlin back in the day, uh, Chris mm-hmm. Rock, Eddie Murphy, with Delirious and Raw, and I think those comedians in particular really kind of helped uh, shape us in high school and college. All right. And then finally, Waj, you said you know a lot about famous brown people. This is more that I should know more about famous brown people. <laughs> okay. I just thought I'd represent my peoples and just throw that out there. And now this is like the most stressful one, because if I can get a single one, I'm like betraying all brown people around the world. So I'm right. And especially if Meg steals, that could be, <laughs> that could be even <laughs> oh, more. No. Who are some of your favorite famous brown people? You know, the cool thing about being my age now as an old middle-aged uh, decaying sack of brown flesh is that I knew some of these famous brown people when they were not famous. Like I knew Hassan Minaj like when he was a mm-hmm. student. I knew Riz Ahmed uh, before like he blew up. And so to see some of these folks like really make it and, and to still be decent and humble and they're talented and like see the hard work pay off, it, it just makes me really proud. Very cool. All right. Well, to summarize, you said you know a lot about the 2021 San Francisco 49ers, 1980s and 90s stand-up comedians, and famous brown people. Today, we're going to quiz you about 1980s and 90s stand-up comedians. Gosh. All right. There's so many ways for people to consume comedy these days. How were you consuming comedy in the 80s and 90s? We were so old back then, though. There was something called comedy CDs. Mm. And then HBO back in the day used to have the half-hour comedy special or the one-hour comedy Mm -hmm. special. And so we used to sneak in. And when no one was listening and my parents were asleep on VHS, uh, mm-hmm. we used to rent the one-hour comedy specials. And then my parents finally realized it's we can't stop him. And so yeah. then they let me just hear these very adult comedy routines on the VHS yeah. that we rewinded before we returned it to the VHS store. Very nice. All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love watch, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Meg, do listen closely because if Waj answers incorrectly, you can steal. Meg, by the way, how much do you know about 1980s and 90s stand-up comedians? Some. I know Some. Okay. Oh. Quite a threat, Meg. Meg is laying down the gauntlet there. She's very formidable. I'm afraid. <laughs> All right. Here's question number one, Wash. For much in the 1980s and 90s, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, and Whoopi Goldberg hosted a charity fundraising TV show that featured dozens of famous comedians. What was the name of this show and organization for which comics would help provide relief? Uh, comic Relief HBO for Homelessness. Mujan? That is correct. Yes, we're just going with comic relief. Just yes, comic relief. <laughs> comic relief. Comics providing relief. Universities in Southern California. That's how a question number one I works. Just, you know what? I'm done. I got my one point. I don't care. <laughs> Watches on the board. Woo! Fun fact, the first comic relief event was held in 1986, and the organization has reportedly distributed over $50 million to people in need. A charity in the UK with the same name now runs Red Nose Day. All right, here's question number two. 
1982, a comedian appeared for his first time on the first season of David Letterman's Late Night Show. Then, after having perhaps the most successful sitcom of the 1990s, he returned for Letterman's final season in 2015 and performed the same stand-up routine he'd done in 1982. Who is this comedian? I feel like so confident about it, but I feel like I'm going to say it's going to be wrong and I'm going to be humiliated, but it's, uh, I think it's Jerry Seinfeld. Mujan? That is correct. That is correct. Yes. I almost asked the question, who is this comedian? Uh, but I didn't want to From totally give it away. I mean, exactly. Me. Fun fact, we did an entire segment on the show Seinfeld with guest Dwayne Perkins on episode 39 of Go Fact Yourself. All right. You're two for two. Waz. Here's question number three. In the 1980s and 90s, successful comedians didn't just get sitcoms like Seinfeld. Some also got Saturday morning shows for kids. Mm. But which of the following comedians did not have a Saturday morning kids show during this era? Was it Howie Mandel, Louis Anderson, Roseanne Barr, Sinbad, or Richard Pryor? I want to say either Roseanne or Richard Pryor. I know Anderson did. I know Howie did. I know Sinbad did. I'm going to say... I'm going to take a risk and say prior. Mujan? That is incorrect. No, I'm terribly sorry. Meg with a chance to steal. I'm going to say Roseanne Barr. Mujan? That is incorrect. No, it was actually Sinbad. I think you misremembered that. Sinbad did not have a Saturday morning kids show. In the 90s, did he have one? He never had one. He never had a Saturday morning kids show. He also never appeared in a movie playing a genie. Those are just things that people seem to believe. So uh, no point there. I'm shocked by that one. I I was so convinced he had a cartoon. Wow, look at that. Fun fact, Howie Mandel had a show called Bobby's World. Louis Anderson had Life with Louis. Roseanne had a show called Little Rosie. And Richard Pryor had a show called Pryor's Place, which was a live-action show produced by Sid and Marty Croft from 1984 that featured puppets and celebrity guests, including comedians Robin Williams, Lily Tomlin, and Rip Taylor. All right, no point there for anyone. Uh, Let's go on to question number four. You do still have your two hints available. Waj, many comedians in the 80s and 90s broke through by competing on Star Search, a nationwide talent competition hosted by Ed McMahon. What comedian who went on to win three Emmy Awards won the comedy competition on the first season of Star Search? I'll take a hint. Bujan, how about that first hint? It's a hint and a fun fact. His three Emmys were for Best Supporting Actor on Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh my God, I know... Tall guy talks like this. Oh, <laughs> what's his name? Oh, oh, he's so good. And I know I just, oh, he's awesome. If I ask for another hint, can you rhyme his name or something? Oh, interesting. I We've mean, never had someone ask for a second hint on the same question. Let me consult. Uh, well, Mujan, you're at the judge's table. Do you think you want to do that? And uh, well, he'll have to sh- forsake his other hint. Oh, oh, I mean, it's up to you. Yeah, if you do this hint, you can't have the other hint. Right. Okay. You're going to ask for, okay, we're, we're yeah. changing the rules on the fly. Mujan, how about the rare second hint on the same question? If he had a pet, it would be a parrot. Pe- ah, uh, Garrett, uh, 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 Brad Garrett, Brad Garrett. Mujan? That is correct. That is correct for the point. And by the way, Mujan, nice uh, improv uh, <laughs> hint you. on the fly. We did not <laughs> plan you. for that. It makes me wonder why I put so much time and effort into writing <laughs> the hints when you come up with a much better one like that. And you know, it's one of those things, right? When you say it, you're like, Brad Garrett, yep. duh. Yep. All right. One of those. Fine. All right. You got the point. Uh, fun fact. Other Star Search winners include talk show host Jenny Jones. Among the people who did not win but who did compete on Star Search include Dennis Miller, Adam Sandler, Conan O'Brien, Rosie O'Donnell, and Brad Garrett's future co-star, Ray Romano. 
All right, here's question number five. You have no hints available. Let's see if you can pull this from the context. Unfortunately, another way people could become famous doing stand-up in the 1990s was to become famous doing something else, then just assume they could get on stage and tell jokes. Such was the short-lived plan for what notorious tabloid figure, who was the target of jokes in 1993 before he divorced his wife in 1995. Cato Caitlin? Mujan? That is incorrect. No, I'm terribly sorry. Meg with a chance to steal. So he was a tabloid figure. Yes. Um, the target of many jokes in 1993 before he divorced his wife in 1995. I don't know. I don't okay. know. No answer from Meg. Waj, you think you have it now. Who do you think it was, Waj? Bobbitt? Mujan? That is correct. That is correct. It was John Wayne Bobbitt. I'm sorry, no point though. There I know, but still, honor, first answer. Honor. Yes, wow. honor, honor, indeed. By the way, John Wayne Bobbitt was the person who became famous when his wife cut off his penis and threw it into a field. A fun fact: when I was doing stand-up, I once went after John Wayne Bobbitt in a show. That's right. <laughs> I closed for John Wayne Bobbitt, my very short-lived stand-up career. All right, Waz, you still did pretty well in that round, but here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Waj, one of the most iconic comedians of the 1980s and 90s, and still today, has had a career filled with many accomplishments, including two notable firsts in the 80s and 90s. Mm. In 1992, she became the first female to solo host a certain annual Washington, D.C. event that now dates back over 100 years. And in 1987, she was featured on a pioneering all-female comedian special on HBO. Listen to a clip from that HBO special and we'll ask you your questions. I put my clothes in the dry cleaners. I don't have enough money to get them out again. It's like they're in jail waiting on me to spring them. I have to go in every so often and go, well, could I just... See the pants? <laughs> All right, for up to three points, what is the name of that HBO special that featured this comedian in an all-female lineup? What is the name of that Washington, D.C. event that she hosted? And who is this iconic comedian of the 1980s, 1990s, and today? Kennedy Center Honors. That happens okay. every year. I, that would be okay. my guess. The okay. 80s all-female comedian, our um, H, the HBO... The Comedy Hour, HBO Comedy Hour. HBO Comedy Hour, all right. And then who is that iconic comedian? Paula Poundstone. Paula Poundstone. All right, Mujan is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Mujan, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an award-winning comedian, best-selling author, and the host of the podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It's Paula Poundstone. Paula Poundstone. Hey, how are you? So great. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've been such a fan for, for a long time, and it's uh, wonderful to meet you. One of the things that you and I have in common is that we are pet lovers. What, what is your current pet count? Because last I heard, there were 10 cats and two dogs. Yeah, that's right. I got 10 cats and two dogs, and I have about 4,000 worms. <laughs> what? Uh, I started a worm farm. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, you, know, you, the, you don't name them all, or? Uh, well, one is named Carol, and one is named William. But I haven't named all of them. Okay, <laughs> just the two. And I've gotten very attached to the worms. They're very industrious. Um, it's a it's a little hard to get the saddles on them, but <laughs> once you've done that, it's a very yeah. productive day. 
Yes. Well, it's it's like they all, it's like they say uh, that old phrase, you know, it's like herding worms. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have this wonderful podcast now called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone that you've been doing for a while. What's what's fun about your podcast is you get celebrities on. Uh, you also get experts like doctors and professors and all that. Uh, which of those guests have, have stood out to you in terms of uh, what you've gleaned from their information? Yeah, it's not overall a celebrity-driven kind of right. a podcast. In most episodes, we interview someone who has real information to share mm-hmm. with us. Um, I particularly enjoyed one with, well, we did have a worm farmer on once, which is why I have uh, a worm farm. So I Very guess I influential, loved, yeah. Yeah, really, truly. But the other thing is we had a plumber one time. She told us that you don't put Kleenex in the toilet, which I didn't know that. It, apparently it's, a, it's a, like thicker. I had no idea. And since I found that out, it's changed my life with my pipes. You know, I haven't really had to call a plumber since then, but if I ever do... You know who you're going to call. A lot of my plumbing problems was just Kleenex. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I was... Uh You're not supposed to put them in the oven either. I was yeah. shoving Kleenex <laughs> everywhere. Turns wow. out, making and, and, a lot of mistakes with Kleenex. Well, let's talk about your work in stand-up, especially in the 80s and 90s. You came up at a time of many others who we've come to know. Who kind of remained your comedy close friends from that era? Well, of course, now it's t- it's tough to say because because we're because we've been in a pandemic for the last two years, so right. I really haven't seen anybody. Who, who uh, is anybody's friends at this point? I consider Lily Tomlin a close friend. I'm not sure that she would answer the question the same way. <laughs> okay. Did I read right that uh, at one point you were roommates with Dana Carvey? Yes. And uh, I don't think Dana looks back on being roommates with me and thinks to himself, <laughs> boy, those were the days. Yeah. yeah but, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't mention it in any interviews, but, uh, no, but it comes up a lot of years. No, he doesn't seem to. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I went to see him a, a couple of years ago because there was something I needed to tell him. Mm. And so I went to someplace I knew he was working. And I got to say, oh, my gosh, that guy has not lost a beat. Mm. So funny. So brilliant. At the time, he was doing a lot of his uh, his Obama and his Trump. You know what's funny about it? He hardly said any words. Yeah. They're just he makes these sounds like them. Did you ever try impressions, by the way? No, that's not your uh, the bag that I, you're known for. You know, for. I do, uh, you know, not great ones, but a mm. little bit here and there, particularly on my podcast. I, I mean, when I do an impression, I have to have someone else say, oh, hi, Dolly Parton. I mean, right. I have to <laughs> And then I think the listeners can go along with it. I, it's yeah. not, you know, I'm not going to make any money on Hollywood Boulevard being someone else. That's not going to happen. Now, I know you love to talk about how great Robin Williams was, not just as a comedian, but as a helper to comedians. I believe that every comic my age and younger... Mm-hmm. Those Robin Williams a debt of gratitude. He really, for everybody, made stand-up comedy desirable uh, destination for an audience. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us got a chance to be on stage because people came out to clubs hoping they were going to see Robin. And mm-hmm. we were just sort of there. And Mm. then we developed our own whatever. Stand-up comedy has been around since we came out of the caves. But Robin made it exciting again. You've done so many different talk shows over the years, and it's always fun watching you as a guest on talk shows. I was curious, was was there a host that you enjoyed most playing off of, one that you really felt uh, you could have most fun with? I was given a tremendous amount of latitude by Craig Ferguson. 
Oh, yeah. They always do a pre-interview for those things, yeah. you know, so that, you know, they have topics and nobody else is stuck doing that like if you were a musician and you came on the show uh you know johnny wouldn't have to have just been talking about his truck yeah in order for you to do your song so i would do these lengthy pre-interviews with a producer for craig ferguson and i would get there and he had a blue card on the desk that had you know the questions that were set mm-hmm. up by the pre-interview person and he would he would sort of shred it right in front of me or throw it over his shoulder before we even began which was a lovely signal that we could just talk about whatever we felt like and generally speaking it went in a fun direction well let me get to the next question that you and i had discussed earlier well, no, we, we, we discussed that <laughs> Oh, my God. I panicked. I thought, oh, my gosh. I was supposed to prepare something. No, God, no. God, no. Oh, I I almost I had like a high school flashback thing. I think I got all the questions wrong. The moment uh, Waj forgot Brad Garrett's name. I yeah. forgot it at the exact same moment. <laughs> and I, I exactly like him. I could see the guy. I yeah. know the guy. That makes me feel so much better. Thank you, Paul. I, well, I got misled by your Sinbad thing because I, I assumed you had seen a Sinbad morning show. <laughs> yeah. Who on earth hallucinates a Sinbad morning show? <laughs> These were my desires as a child of the 80s, apparently. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I, I think Sinbad is a terrific comic, but I would never hallucinate that he had a morning show. The fact that America gave Richard Pryor a morning show, just, just I was like, wow, the 80s were probably more transgressive than I thought. <laughs> All I remember is that as you were answering them, I was like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness I don't have to answer these. <laughs> well, let's hope you would have done well on the uh, on the last three questions. In fact, let's get to that now. Let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Wash. First, we wanted to know what was the name of that HBO special that featured a certain comedian in an all-female lineup? We heard a clip from it. Mujan, what did Wash say? Wash said the HBO Comedy Hour. And Paula? Uh, no, it was uh, Women of the Night. Women of the Night, yes. But yeah. of course, you you uh, famously did your own uh, HBO comedy. Was it half hour or hour or both? Both. Both, yes. Um, by the way, how did you feel about a show uh, finally featuring an all-female lineup being called Women of the Night? You know, I did, I, a lot of women have said to me like that they think that's horrible. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't care. Okay. <laughs> Looking back, I think, yeah. yeah, maybe not such a good idea. Honestly, just having a presentation of yeah. women was a big deal. Very cool. All right. No point there for Waj. Our next question was, what was the name of the Washington, D.C. event that this comedian hosted that now goes back over 100 years? Mujan, what did Waj say? Waj said the Kennedy Center Honors. And uh, okay, Paula? This was the greatest answer. Because it goes back over 100 years, which, by the (laughs) way, I had no idea that it went back over 100 years. But watch, Kennedy wouldn't be 100 (laughs) years old if he was still alive. And the other thing is, even if he was 100 years old, that would mean that they named the Kennedy Center after him pretty much at his birth. And that's very rare, that kind of distinction. It was the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Which I had no idea had been around for a hundred years. For the kids listening, this is why I should always listen to the question and read the question before jumping out with with confidence. Because right when he said it in my head, I'm like Candy Center, and then when you told me this was a hundred years, I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, but then yeah. we would have missed out on all of the shade that Paula gave before telling you that you were wrong. I'd earn it. 
I deserve it. You just were slightly off. It was it was <laughs> the Coolidge Corner comedy event. Very, yes. very popular there in D.C. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. No point there for Waj. And finally, we did want to know who is this iconic comedian of the 80s, 90s, and today that we were speaking of. Mujan, what did Waj say? Wash said Paula Poundstone. And? That is incorrect. Whoa! Uh, yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. Over yep. three. It's, it's, uh, it's John Kennedy. It's- um... <laughs> No, that was correct, Wash. I was so glad you said it. But uh, but it's interesting, Wash, because you did you did mention how much it meant to you to consume these half hour and, and uh, hour long HBO shows that uh, that Paula had, and uh, so it was a, re- a reasonable guess. You do get a point for, of course, guessing Paula Poundstone. Uh, Wash, while we have Paula Poundstone here, is there anything else like to ask or say to our expert? You know, b- uh, back in the day, I remember they used to make a big deal. Uh, oh, Paula Poundstone, she's wearing pantsuits. Paula Poundstone, female comedian, and this was, uh, I think, early '90s, late '80s, right? And so we're still dealing, we're still dealing with this ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen this Minnie Mouse controversy of the pantsuit, you know, and and you know, you see these uh, these asterisks put on the comedian's name. She's a female comedian, and do you feel honestly? Yeah, do you feel now in 2022? You know, many people saw you as a trailblazer, which you were. You think, oh, you know, I'm alive to see that it's gotten better? Or do you see the same crap in 2022 that you had to deal with in 1990 and 91 when you came out with those specials that blew up? I'm going to choose B. (laughs) I don't know if it's that we're backsliding Mm -hmm. or that we're finally seeing that we never made the progress we thought we made. I'm Mm -hmm. not certain. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But you're right. You're you're right, though. They always make a big deal of saying, like, uh, what's, you know, is it going to be a show of all women? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Paula, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you here. People want to learn more about you or what you're up to. Where can they do that? PaulaPoundstone.com is a good resource. Yeah. That's one of the places that one could also listen to my podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. And it's also, what do people always say, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll want to listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Paula, it's been such a treat and an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Paula Poundstone. Thanks, you guys. It was fun. All right, Mujan, what is our score as we go into the final round? Going into the final round, Meg Rowley has 10 points and Wajahat Ali has 4 points. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Meg and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth 1 point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Meg, there's an American restaurant chain called Hooters. True. Correct. Wash, there's an American sporting goods company called Dick's. True. Correct. Meg, there's a Turkish cigarette company called Butts. False. Correct. Wash, there's a California breakfast restaurant called Egg Slut. For the love of God, please. Uh, false. Incorrect. No, and there's a food truck too. Meg, there's a Hawaiian candy company called Donkey Balls. True. Correct. Wash, there's a Pennsylvania hardware store called Knobs and Knockers. True. Correct. Meg, there's an Arizona propane company called Passmore Gas. False. Incorrect. No, and now that you're in Arizona, maybe you can uh, be a customer. (laughs) Wash, there's a Florida furniture company called Morning Wood. True. Correct. Meg, there's a Canadian clothing company called Moose Knuckles. True. Correct. Yeah. Wash, there's a Scandinavian luggage company called Douchebags. True. Correct. Meg, in 2021, Douchebags changed their name. True. Correct. Waj, it's now called D-Bags. True. Incorrect. Meg, it's now called Douche Bees. False. Correct. Waj, it's now called Donkey Balls. False. 
Correct. All right. We're not going to count those last few. Uh, by the way, uh, Douchebags is now called DB. DB. Look for the DB label. All right. I want to thank Meg Rally and Wajahat Ali as Mujan tabulates the final score. Mujan, are you ready to announce the winner of today's episode? I sure am. At the end of the game, Waj has eight points and Meg has... 15 points. Congratulations, Meg. You were the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? <sighs> I guess I'm going to root for the Niners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Never know what's going to happen when people win on the show. Uh, all right. We want to give everyone here a chance to uh, promote anything they might like. Meg Rowley, where can people find you and your work? You can find me on Fangraphs at Fangraphs.com. If you like what you see there, we greatly appreciate people buying a membership to support all of our good work. You can find me on Twitter at Meg Rowler, and you can find me co-hosting Effective Wild with Ben Lindbergh on Effectively Wild. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. I will be listening to all of your shows to come. Meg Rowley. Uh, Wajahat Ali, where can people find you and your work? Uh, apparently Karachi, Pakistan, because that's where I have to go after uh, humiliating myself uh, <laughs> in uh, today's show. And you can read more about how I failed my immigrant parents and not become a doctor uh, in my book, Go Back to Where You Came From, and other helpful recommendations on how to become American, which just came out. Excellent. Congratulations on the book. And thank you so much for joining us. Wajahat Ali. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner today has been the lovely and talented Mujan Zulfakari. Mujan, what do you have going on that people can listen to? Uh, my podcast, Mission to Zix, we're in our fifth and final season. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts and online at Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X-X. I wrote and produced for the upcoming season of The Helpsters, which is like a fun Muppet Sesame version kids show out there in Apple TV Plus. And I'm, uh, you'll see me around. I pop up in things. And you can find me at Mujanzi, but you'll be disappointed because I don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Lower those expectations with <laughs> Mujan Zalfagari. Thanks so much for stepping in today. We appreciate it. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Meg Rowley, Wajahat Ali, John Ryan, Paula Poundstone, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Oh, come on, 2022. We want to do it. It'll be free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like El Bandito Diablo did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, funny and smart. Careful, you might find yourself learning something. Thanks, El Bandito Diablo. I will be careful, especially when that warning comes from a Bandito Diablo. Mujan? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Today's show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistant provided by Adam Nedef. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Mike Avellanos, plus Tim Connolly. Promotional graphics by Eris Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Rachel Salzman at WW Norton, Debbie Pressman at Positive Jam PR, Lisa Perkins at the Initiative Group, 
Ben Lindbergh, and Scott Kramer. I've been Mujan Zofagari. Let's go watch the 2013 Seahawks. And 1980s stand-up. Is that possible? Can we go back in time? You go first. Seems risky. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned, audience supported